Hello and welcome to Baylor Connections, a conversation series with the people shaping our future. Each week we go in-depth with Baylor leaders, professors, and more discussing important topics in higher education, research, and student life. I'm Derek Smith, and today we are talking food security with Craig Gunderson. Dr. Gunderson is the Jim and Tammy Snee Family Chair in Food Security, a prominent agricultural economist who comes to Baylor from the University of Illinois. Gunderson brings numerous impactful research projects and is based in the Baylor Collaborative on Hunger and Poverty with an appointment in the Handcammer School of Business. Gunderson's focus has long been on strategies to address food insecurity, evaluating the causes and consequences of food insecurity, and studying specific programs and approaches to address those challenges. His game-changing research in the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, better known as SNAP, SNAP's effectiveness positively impacted the program's perception and metrics he developed to help food banks across the nation evaluate how well they're serving those in need. Glad to have you here at Baylor. Glad to have you on the program, Dr. Gunderson. Thanks for joining us today. Great. Thank you so much, Derek. Really happy to be here. So, uh, Craig, you've been at Baylor since 2021. As you've got settled in, uh, what have you enjoyed most about being part of the Baylor family? So the most important thing for me and the reason I came here is being at a university which takes our faith very, very seriously and incorporates it into all aspects of it, whether it be the research that we choose to do, the research that we do, our interactions with students in the classroom, our interactions with faculty across campus, and also, you know, with our alums from our university and everything and all the friends of Baylor. It's just incredible to be a place where our faith is taken so seriously. Dr. Gunderson, you're an agricultural economist, uh, a food economist. Help us get a vision of what exactly that looks like uh, for you. First off, uh, where might we find you working? I mean, is it all in the office? Is it all outside? What's that look like? So most of my time is spent in the office doing research. um, And and also in the spring, I teach a course. So I'm in, you know, either in the classroom or in my office doing research. And also I, I travel quite a bit for work is in my area. There's a great deal of interest in food insecurity topics. And so I travel probably, you know, twice twice, two or three times a month, and then travel internationally a few times a year to talk about issues pertaining to food insecurity. Food insecurity is a, is a, is a topic that we hear about in the news and has received more focus, and certainly here at Baylor's doing things about that. What, what are some of the questions related to that that drive your work? What are some, you talked about questions earlier. What, what are the questions that particularly just kind of get inside your heart there? Right. So I think that from my perspective is there's a whole wide array of, of questions about food insecurity. And there's been a really a, a well-developed research literature on this topic. But I think that there's still a lot of questions to be posed. And one of the areas where I'm especially interested in this is that overall is that food insecurity rates have declined quite a bit since 2014 by about 40 percent for the full population, about 60% for children. So wonderful news, great news that this has declined so much. It's also great news that during COVID, it didn't increase hardly at all. So great news. The challenge becomes though, is to some extent those who are, who are left behind. And what we have to figure out is, for a lot of people who are left behind in all this, is that it's not just more resources. It's something else that we need to help them with. And so to give you, you know, four examples of groups that seem to be struggling to left behind are those with disabilities, especially those with mental and physical health disabilities. If you look at the food insecurity literature, the most challenging, the, most, the biggest determinant of food insecurity is disability status. But also I'm concerned about loneliness as a major predictor of food insecurity. Um, addiction, those suffering from addictions are much more likely to be food insecure, and those coming out of, of, of prison, recently incarcerated, 
are also at high rates of food insecurity. So figuring out how to help these groups in particular is really a big, ch- a big challenge. And one thing that I think that is something we have to be thinking a lot more about in the food insecurity literature. And again, coming back to our faith, is that you know the, our, our churches across the country and across the world are most effective at reaching out to those who no one else is reaching out to. So I think that our faith communities can have a huge impact on reducing food insecurity. And I think our research can inform how these things can be done most successfully. Visiting with Dr. Craig Gunderson here on uh, Baylor Connections. And you, you, you mentioned uh, the, the, these four groups that re- seem to be left behind right now. How much of what you do, obviously you use economic tools, numbers, and data. How much of what you do is learning about different, I don't know if demographics is the right word, but as you study the people who are being left behind. So most of, personally, my, most of my research uses what's called secondary data sets. This is data that's been collected by somebody else, whether it be from nationally representative data sets or for work that I'm doing with the Houston Food Bank and the Atlantic Community Food Bank to ascertain different ways that assistance can be provided to those who are in need. So but my research is kind of concentrated on this, and I use what's known as econometric tools from the e- economic literature to, to do this research. You have, and we're going to talk about this a little more in a minute, uh, you're in the Baylor Collaborative on Hunger and Poverty, also in Handcammer. You, you talk about different aspects of food insecurity that you're studying. How much of the work that you do is collaborative, whether that's interdisciplinary or you mentioned Houston and Atlanta food banks there? What's right. that look like for you? So, again, you know, it's one of the uh, – if we could talk later about why I came into Baylor, we could talk a little bit sure. about that later. But is that, you know, I do – extensive work with Baylor Collaborative on Hunger and Poverty. You know, that's where my, where my home is here, along within the Department of Economics at, uh, in the Handcammer School. So I do a lot of work uh, in the collaborative sense as working with people. So I think that I think, I, I guess I could say in a few ways that I, my work is collaborative. First of all, a lot of the questions I'm being posed are, I'm posing are those that are in the policy sphere and our program administrators of different programs to answer questions that they're posing, and that's collaborative. Most of all those persons are not economists, but they're saying, you know, what works? What doesn't work? How can we make this better? My work is also collaborative insofar as I, even though almost all my work is published in economics journals, I do publish quite a bit in non-economics journals because a lot of other people outside of economics are interested in, in these topics. Talking with Dr. Craig Gunderson, and let's talk about your your journey to to Baylor here. And you know, I mentioned you hold the Jim and Tammy Snee Family Chair in in Food Security in the Baylor Collaborative on Hunger and Poverty. And as you've described your work, it certainly seems like a great fit. But t- tell me about uh, when did you first hear about that position, and what were, were your immediate thoughts? So, is here's if I could just give a little bit of background about I, I want to give a little bit of background first about sure. why I'm so excited to have the opportunity to come to come to Baylor consider myself a very, very lucky man to, to be here. So um, I'm Catholic, and I did my undergraduate at University of Notre Dame up there in, in Indiana. And one of the great things I loved back then was how you would have students, faculty, and everybody taking really seriously our faith and how that incorporates into both what goes on in the classroom, what goes on outside the classroom, what are future directions of our lives. And then my two sons went there, and I see my uh, two of my three, uh, two my, my two sons went there, and then to be able to see, you know, how things are continuing to be that excitement there and everything that goes on there. And I really wanted to get back to that sort of sort of atmosphere. And through the Baylor Club of Hunger and Poverty, is every year they host something called Together at the Table. So I've been coming 
down for that for about a decade and gotten to know a lot of people there. And so really excited. We'd always been talking about, you know, maybe there's possibilities that I could come down here. And at the time, I was at, at University of Illinois. And finally, is through the incredible generosity of Jim and Tammy Steed. Just for those of you who had a chance to meet them, you, you all are very lucky. Just two incredible people. Um, through their generosity, um, we were able to make it work such that I, that I was able to come down here. So that's kind of my journey from, you know, all the way back at my undergraduate days at University of Notre Dame, graduated back in 1990, all the way up till today here at where I, my, I will be ending my career here at Baylor. Such, such a wonderful university. And I'm curious, your enthusiasm for this topic obviously goes back a ways. Take, take right. us back, was it when you were a student at Notre Dame or before that? When did your topic, when did your interest, excuse me, in the topic of food insecurity grow from? Okay, well, let's go way back then. So mm-hmm. is at Notre Dame, there's something called Catholic social teaching where we think carefully about, you know, different aspects of our faith and what that calls us to do. And so, you know, as Catholics, were, as Christians were called to to be parts of our community and contribute and to and and to make things a, be, a better, you know, bring, bring the kingdom of God here to the world. We can all do this in many different ways. And when I was looking at Catholic social teaching, I thought, well, you know, one of the areas that maybe I can make a contribution is in terms of, of, of poverty, of poverty work. So between college and graduate school, I worked at Casa Juan Diego, which is a Houston Catholic worker house in Houston, which were where we had um, we had a house in Houston, the one in Matamoros, where we helped Central American refugees. And I did that for a year between college and graduate school. Then I went to graduate school at University of California, Riverside, got my PhD in economics. And actually, my PhD was looking at, my dissertation looked at housing poverty. But at the time is that uh, as earlier we talked about food and you know food insecurity. Of course, there's an underlying measure to food insecurity. And in 1996, I was hired by the U.S. Department of Agriculture as part of their development of this new measure, this food insecurity measure, which is building on the work that I did in the space of housing. So I went then to uh, USDA for seven years in Washington D.C. Then I went to Iowa State for five years, um, and then in 2008 I left to go to. University of Illinois, where I was in the Department of Agriculture and Consumer Economics, and then I came to here to Baylor in 2021. So, really, as I tell people, I mean, I've been doing the same thing, you know, basically since 1996 with respect to my research, looking at the causes and consequences of food insecurity, and on the evaluation of food assistance programs with an emphasis on SNAP. Well, let's take a look, Dr. Gunderson, at some of your research projects to maybe uh, take us inside so we can envision what that that looks like. Uh, what, what are some projects? Give us an overview first, and then we can dive into them. What are some projects that have been particularly meaningful to you to be involved in? Okay. I guess I would, whenever I talk about this is, you know, I always begin by saying I've just had some amazing people to work with throughout my career. And so being able to work with all these amazing people has, has forwarded my work. I like to concentrate on, like, I guess I would say, uh, you know, th- three main areas where I think I've, I've been able to be a part of the food insecurity literature. The first is just looking at the numerous causes of food insecurity across many different dimensions. And one area of research of mine that a paper that I wrote a long time ago and continue to emphasize is looking at the uh, American Indians who have much higher rates of food insecurity than other groups in the United States, and it's not readily explained by income differences. So in other words, something 
is going on within that group that has much higher rates of food insecurity. So thinking about you know what that is and and thinking about that was one example of work that I've done looking at the determinants of food insecurity and also the consequences. So that's one area, building on what we can know about why some groups are at greater risk than other groups. And it's Income is one of the determinants, but there's a lot of other stuff going on. As I mentioned earlier when I was talking about disability status, loneliness, incarceration, and addiction, there's these other things going on with respect to this. A second thing that um, that I've done research on is to look at the impact of the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP, formerly known as the Food Stamp Program, is that one of the challenges in evaluating this program is that it's not randomly distributed to individuals in the United States, of course. You have to be eligible for it, then you have to apply for it, and then you have to get the benefits. So analyzing the impact of this program is quite difficult insofar as you have to address issues of selection into the program, measurement, error. There's a lot of things going on. And so work with my colleagues and I has written a number of papers on that, which from from our perspective, really has clearly shown it's become a stylized fact now that SNAP recipients are about 30% less likely than eligible non-participants to be food insecure. This has had a profound impact on policymakers and programmers as they you want to point to a successful program, point to SNAP. And so we've really developed this. That's the second area. The third area is work that I do with Feed in America, is that one of the challenges in looking at food insecure in the United States is that looking at this at a national level or even at a state level doesn't give you the full picture about what's happening. There's enormous geographic differences across the country in terms of um, food insecurity. So um, so what I designed with Feed America was something called Map the Meal Gap, where since 2009, we have county-level estimates of food insecurity for full population, but also for children. We also break this down by congressional districts. And then uh, for the past two years, we've been breaking it down in uh, by black persons, Hispanic persons, and then white non-Hispanic persons. And we're breaking the rates down here to kind of see the disparity, especially between blacks and whites with respect to food insecurity in the United States. So this has become, you know, uh, we've also been doing this at the census tract level and the uh, zip code level. It's become the tool that's used by food banks to effectively um, direct resources towards those in needs. And also by city governments, county governments say, you know, where in our communities are people most in need? And this, this has become Feed America's Map the Meal Gap has become the source for that information. So those are the three main areas where I think I've been most excited about my work and hopefully that it's. It's, it's, it's made a contribution to people's understanding of this really important issue. Well, Dr. Gunderson, let me ask you about the, the last one you mentioned uh, first when you talk about feeding America and, uh, and mapping the meal gap. W- what were some of the challenges you had to overcome to do that effectively and then make, get that to be used effectively? Right. So the challenge is, is that the, the food insecurity questions are a number of different surveys in the United States, and the main one that it's on is something called the Current Population Survey. So the annual report that comes on, will be coming out in late October this year, gives us information about food insecurity at the national level and at the state level. The challenge, though, was that it's not due to confidentiality reasons; is it's not representative at a, at a lower level. So, for example, we don't know what a particular, you know, McAllen County, we don't know what their food insecurity rate is because there's not, not a large enough sample size for this. So 
what I said was is, but what, what we can do is that there's another data set called American Community Survey, which doesn't have questions on food insecurity. It has no information on food insecurity, but it does have information on demographics. So, for example, the you know, proportion of people who are poor in a county, home ownership rates, proportion of the population that has a disability. There's a lot of other information. So in this sense is that what I developed then was using data from the current population survey was estimated a model, and then using information from the American Community Survey, we get estimates for all these counties. Food banks had really no way to direct their scarce resources towards areas of needs, or counties had no idea, well, what zip codes are at greater need. This provides us with these tools. And part of the reason why I think this was so important is that for a lot of people think that poverty is in some sense a synonym for food insecurity, but it's not. 70% of poor people are food secure, and roughly 15% of non-poor people are food insecure. So using poverty as the sole metric, which a lot of people were using before, just didn't give the complete picture. So Map the Mill Gap allows us to say for every single county in the United States is what the food insecurity rate is. This is a huge resource to different groups doing work at the local level. For food bank or some other organization with scarce resources, this would be incredibly expensive for them to calculate. So in other words, by providing this tool, this information for free, it's really helped out the, across the country. It's helped out groups across the country, but especially groups that otherwise wouldn't be able to afford to calculate these numbers. Yeah, that's a great resource to measure effectiveness and, and resource allocation yeah. and whatnot as we visit with Craig Gunderson. And Dr. Gunderson, as we end the final couple minutes of the program, I want to ask you about SNAP, your, your, your work in SNAP. What should people know about the role that SNAP plays in addressing food insecurity? Okay. So I always tell people, any discussion about how we address food insecurity in the United States has to begin and end with SNAP. Is uh, I love SNAP. Um, so what I always tell people is there's a lot of government programs that are, uh, for lack of a better word, doesn't have a positive or negative impact. And there's a lot of government programs that actually have a negative impact on people's lives. But SNAP is not one of those. SNAP is just this amazing program that has as its central goal is to alleviate food insecurity in the United States. And study after study after study, including some that I mentioned earlier that my colleagues and I have worked on, has demonstrated that this program is incredibly successful. And it's successful for a number of different reasons. Is, um, and we can I'll, I'll br- briefly outline those. Is The first is that it's what we call an entitlement program. So therefore, individuals can be on the program for as long as needed. The average stay is only about 11 months, but some people need it for longer. For example, senior citizens who are retired and in need, this program is there for them for a extended time period. It's also an entitlement status insofar as the government automatically expands or contracts as needed, as it doesn't need the government to step in and say, this is only a limited amount of money can be spent on this. No, it just automatically spans during bad economic times, it contracts during good economic times. Um, the second reason is is that it leverages our retail food network, is that so individuals on SNAP is they don't have to go somewhere special to spend their benefits. They can go walk alongside their aisles of their supermarket, alongside their friends and family and neighbors. It's a wonderful thing is that you have this. It leverages the already existing retail food network in the, in, in the United States. And the third reason that I, I like to talk a lot about is the fact that it gives dignity and autonomy to individuals is we have too many anti-poverty programs in the United States and elsewhere for that matter that I don't think give dignity and autonomy to individuals. 
SNAP gives this to individuals. It allows them to make their own choices about what they want to eat. It allows them to shop alongside their neighbors. And one other important thing about this is there's a lot of anti-poverty programs which discourage work, for lack of a better term. But SNAP gives individuals the dignity to be able to say, if I want to work more, I can work more, and my benefits don't completely cut off people's benefits um, what's called is, you know, as, as their incomes increase, their benefit levels fall, but there's no what's called a cliff effect, which would discourage people from working. So it gives dig- people dignity and autonomy by allowing them to work without punishing them for working. And also is that it gives them the dignity and autonomy to make their own food choices that are consistent with their family situation, their cultural preferences, and for lack of a better term, what they want to eat and enjoy eating. So SNAP is just a wonderful program. Thank you for that description of, of that. And, and Dr. Gunderson, as we add into the, uh, the final moments now, I'm just curious now, you look at impacting policy, tools for food banks, uh, resources for communities. What do you enjoy most or what do you hope that your research continues to, con- the many ways your research contributes to those things? I think for me at least is the most exciting thing is is being able to, well, I guess the first exciting thing is to be able to provide these tools to food banks, to policymakers, and to program administrators to really emphasize what works in terms of these, uh, what works in terms of of alleviating food insecurity, especially SNAP, but also our extensive charitable food assistance network, which does a great job at alleviating food insecurity, and give them the tools to understand the geography of food assistance. Uh, I mean, as food insecurity in the United States. One other thing that's exciting to me also about this research is is that um, given that you know given that Baylor gives me a platform insofar as uh, you know, a professorship here. I mean, I'm sorry, an endowed chair uh, with the Snee family. It's really a huge honor, which allows me to make a lot of contributions to the broader dialogue about food insecurity in the United States. As we talked about, I'm giving presentations all you know across the country, or for that matter, all across the globe on this topic. And Baylor gives me the forum to do this. And as also along with articulating what my research is, what our research has contributed to our understanding of this, it also allows us to say, look at the groups that are being left behind. And if I could say it once again, is those groups, persons with disabilities, persons with addictions, persons who are lonely and are recently incarcerated, those are all people that we need to really especially, especially reach out to. And again, because I'm at Baylor, we can begin talking more and more about how our Christian communities can really help out those individuals in in need. Well, that's wonderful. And Dr. Gunderson, I really appreciate you sharing that and your time today. I look forward to to what you have in uh, store for us through the work you do. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Derek. I really appreciate this opportunity. Dr. Craig Gunderson, the Jim and Tammy Tammy Snee Family Chair in Food Security, the Baylor Collaborative on Hunger and Poverty, our guest today on Baylor Connections. I'm Derek Smith. A reminder, you can hear this and other programs online at baylor.edu slash connections, and you can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for joining us here on Baylor Connections.